All right, guys, I am back from my week hiatus. Big show today, continuing to talk best ball. Of course, we have the Playmakers finale, and I'm ready to argue with Spags about how sours are excellent beers. Uh, Spags, could, does anything sound better than that? No, I think that's an important thing that honestly I forgot to put in the segment sheet. So I'm glad you did bring that conversation there. And I brought over the Pete's discord, but we are going to talk playmakers. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk about all the NFL news that we missed. So let's hit the intro and get right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, which you know is the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And once again, I am Chris Spaggs, joined by the man who is on his own YouTube channel as well as on our Splash Play channel. He's so I actually you're not even that tan, Pete. I'm actually kind of disappointed. I feel like you come back usually with your your Jersey Shore hues. But anyway, here's a mediocre tan, Peter Overzet. You guys, you guys need to get consistent because some people have been telling me I was very tan. Now you're telling me I'm not tan. So I, I, I don't I need you guys to kind of huddle and get on the same page i feel like you were more tan before you went on a week beat trip which i don't know how that's possible i am that's, definitely that's more tan here i mean do you are we do you want me to like, <laughs> yeah, please strip the down for the cow oh wow <laughs> look at those gams that's what we'd say <laughs> starting off hot you know trying to show you a little bit of a tan line no, that's good. I honestly, I, I am historically normally more so uh, with, with women, but generally I do like tan lines. I feel like that's one of those things that's like, I don't know. Now we're starting weird. Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like one of those like voyeurism triggers. Like, I think that's why we as human beings are like tan lines. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm seeing something I'm not supposed to see. And I think that's what you just gave the people and me, of course, obviously the most. Did you, what was it like? I feel like in high school girls would go to the tanning beds and then they would get like a the little sticker. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like sometimes it'd be like the Playboy bunny sticker there. That that was pretty hot. I'll give you that. Yeah, look, I I think we could talk. Maybe this will be a tan lines podcast. So now we're actually on the cusp of football season, so we don't have to fill <laughs> desperately for time. But uh yeah, if you're a tan line fan out there, I'm glad Pete can service you. Oh god, that's a terrible way to say that right here up front. Another way we could service you is if you follow at Splash Play Pod, we are following back everybody on there on Twitter and Instagram. So if you're just a handle looking for a few followers, we check the tweets. Sometimes I'll throw some likes out there and I'm live and onto the handle as well. So make sure to go follow at Splash Play Pod as I accidentally kick my camera. But let's talk about the NFL headlines first because we got a lot to talk about the Playmakers finale. We are finally finishing our journey with that one. But first, hit that like button if you can, whether you're watching on Peach Channel or on the Splash Play Channel. And of course, go check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and give us five stars and a review if you can. And uh, I guess a move that's getting five stars from people out there, Aaron Rodgers back with the Packers. I feel like an inevitable outcome based on you know the timing of the year and it's really not a lot of trade winds blowing recently, but he's back, Pete. He's with Randall Cobb, bringing him with him. And I feel like a lot of people are viewing this as, oh, now I could finally, and I think you might've said the same thing in the uh, the Fantasy Life Matthew Berry email newsletter you do, but I honestly kind of think Rodgers being back is going to drive these guys up in a way that I don't love. I think you're getting good value on Aaron Jones before getting good value in Devontae Adams. And Adams in particular, having Cobb back in the mix, who's been a pretty high volume guy in this roster, and there was nobody else catching passes for the Packers last year besides Adams. I don't think it's fantastic to have Randall Cobb back in there for them. So I think the team's going to be better for sure, though. I, I guess if you're like me and believe Rodgers is going to be there all along, it doesn't matter. But Pete, are you buying in now with these guys' ADPs coming up on the on the upswing here just because Aaron Rodgers is now officially back in tow? 
Yeah, only on like the big three and big three is probably being generous to Robert Tunyon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Rogers or sorry, uh, Aaron Jones and Adams definitely need to move up. And I feel like the discounts were kind of ridiculous just because I think I mentioned this on another show, like every single day that he didn't go somewhere else or didn't threaten retirement, it became more likely that he was going to sign on the Packers. But then the ADPs for Aaron Jones and uh, Adams didn't move. And you were actually getting pretty good discounts on them. And I do think, you know, Adams is now right there with Hill and Diggs. And Jones is a back into the first round running back play. So those guys, I think it's justified. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be really messy now with Lazard, Amari Rogers, and Cobb there, you know, fighting for those slot snaps. We know what we're going to get from MBS. You know, we're going to get like one big game every four weeks. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very kind of concentrated offense again. And I'm not buying um, Amari and, and Cobb now that their ADPs are going to rise. Yeah, I feel pretty good about the Adams shares that I got in the puppy and some of the, the tournaments out there that have already closed in best ball. But I think him coming up a little bit more, you're now competing against people who, if you are playing some of those DK tournaments that have been up for the last few weeks, if you're drafting Adams, I think you're drafting him a little bit higher and then you're getting him again, going to be going against people who had him a little bit further down the draft board. So I think there's some risk there. And actually this uh, point out in the chat right now uh, from Ricky Geiger, week one DK salaries, I guess just came out right now. I didn't know. I don't think this is up this morning. Yeah, no, I, I was talking to Pat Mayo about oh, cool. that last night. Then, they, they, came, they came out at, at, at noon. Yeah, but uh, uh, we have plenty of time to talk DK salaries. Yeah, well, we'll get into that more. I'm very excited to see them. Really not many major surprises, at least from the top of the board so far. But uh, something I guess we'll dig into a little bit more next week when we ramp up our content. We're going to have, I think we're going to try to have Justin Freeman on to talk more about Run the Sims and the Sims in general, uh, not the game, obviously, the simulation game out there. Uh, we could definitely work week one salaries into that mix. But um, the other news out there, Cam Akers, this happened, I think, right after we did our show or maybe somewhere around that time frame a couple weeks ago. But Cam Akers out for the season. And I think, Pete, to me, this is something where I've been beating this drum already so far with Matthew Stafford. I think the Rams are the team that is really appealing to me, I think, more than the field for the offense this year. I think the defense will be solid, probably not exactly the world beaters they were last year because defense, you know, if you've been playing fantasy for enough and paying attention to what you're supposed to pay attention out there, defense, one of the least sticky things out there. But it's hard to believe they're going to be bad, Pete. And I think this is an offense that's going to squeeze the air out of the ball a lot. And Darrell Henderson, I'm not buying anybody else really taking snaps for him. I think he's in a fantastic spot now that Cam Akers is going to be, unfortunately, out for the year. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, even when you look at Woods and Cup, their ADPs are pretty similar to where they were last year, and they have a huge quarterback upgrade. Uh, and same with Tyler Higby. His ADP is pretty similar to where it was last year, and now Gerald Everett is gone, and they got a quarterback upgrade. So I'm with you on this passing game, and yeah, Akers was a guy – that they were going to establish it with. And I think going to Henderson, who I still like a lot, but I think they do go more up-tempo. They do pass more um, as well because they're just not going to have the personnel to run the ball as much as they wanted to. So, yeah, I think this is just a huge, uh, you know, uh, beneficiary for the entire, you know, wide receiver and quarterback crew here. Yeah, I would have had Cam Akers, you know, based on how they were using him down the stretch when they got more comfortable with him and his health was there. He was getting, you know, 20 to 30 touches a game. I think that's where he would have been. I think Darrell, you could probably shave maybe 10 of those touches that you would want to see week to week. Uh, but if he's in the range of 15 to 20 touches a week on a team that should be playing ahead and have an explosive enough offense to pull away from some teams, like I think you're going to see this entire offense rise and now a little more consolidation with no Cam Akers. Probably Darrell knocking to the same ceiling that Cam Akers would have had, but I think he's right in the mix. And to me, um, I think he's a very comfortable 
acceptable RB2 for how I'm viewing him and how I would want to approach it. Uh, the other big news that came out recently, Michael Thomas opting for surgery later in the team wanted Sean Payton actually putting quotes out there, much like the Playmakers episode we're going to discuss. <laughs> the coach going to the media, burying his player a little bit for it. And, and Michael Thomas, Pete, I feel like he has just been an enigma the last few years. He got paid and then it's just been really bad for them since. But I think this really makes me feel fantastic about uh, some of the Traquan Smith shares that I got in the, the closed puppy draft that's already been out there. Uh, but how are you feeling about Michael Thomas being out? Because this drops him enough. I know you've written about a little bit for the Fantasy Life newsletter, but I think Thomas has to get a downgrade. But also, I feel like maybe this means that Taysom Hill is starting and Michael Thomas is just like, fuck this and took the time off. Because that's really the one thing it read to me first and foremost. Yeah, this is not a very fun team right now for fantasy because we don't know what's going on at quarterback. I still think the most likely outcome is they're almost used in a quarterback committee. Like I could really see them, you know, splitting like 50-50 or 60-40 in games. Um and it's hard because I think we would have very different viewpoints on the offense. Like I would get a lot more excited about Traquan if I knew Jameis Winston was going to be the starter. If you're telling me it's full-time Taysom Hill, then I'm starting to be like, all right, it's it's going to be Kamara's going to get his and Taysom Hill is going to be running for his life. And so there's all these weird kind of scenarios for how this could shake out. And I don't really feel good about a lot of it. And I know people are excited about Kamara now just being the focal point of the offense, but I think there's still concerns about if Taysom's the quarterback, is he going to get those all those targets? Because we've seen with the running quarterbacks, they prefer to take off than to make that dump down to their running back. And so Kamara's still expensive. Uh, you can kind of spin that either way. You're going to say he's going to be a usage monster. They have nothing else. Or you can say this offense might implode and Taysom Hill can't get him the ball. So I could see it going both ways. I think there's a lot of risk here. I don't really know the places to really benefit on it. I don't mind cheap Traquan Smith, and I don't mind taking Taysom Hill at the very end of drafts, especially in best balls like your QB3. I think he's a really nice upside bet there. But man, this is kind of a mess now. Yeah, I agree. And I think the one thing for me that does change the equation, it's like you were talking about, I was actually tweeting this week um, with, I think it was Eric uh, Bimefor and uh, with uh, Jeff Collins, who were talking about sort of the ramifications, I guess, of, of Michael Thomas being out and who benefits. And I think Collins had initially thought that it's going to be a really big boost for Michael Thomas. And I think that's the case if you have, um, if you have Taysom Hill. A out, boost you know, for who? Uh, excuse me, a boost for uh, for Alvin Kamara, rather, with yeah. Thomas being out. Sorry, I misspoke there. Um, yeah, but he thought Kamara would get the boost. And I just remember last year when Kamara was really heavy chalk when Drew Brees first got out for that four-week stretch, he was terrible for that entire run. And I pulled went through the numbers. He had the most fantasy points he'd had in that four-week stretch of 22.5. And it is small sample size stuff, but I'm with you. That was something that, that stuck with me from, I think it was Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley in that early part of Jones's year where also I mentioned on the show that I was doing that, hey, like, oh, Barkley's going to probably be down a little bit this year because he's not going to get as many of those people PPR points just from, you know, a quarterback not checking down as much when the guy can run, he's not going to throw those little dink and dunk passes quite as much. And Taysom Hill is the very definition of that. So I think to me, Taysom Hill probably benefits if he's a starter more than Alvin Kamara does because everything's just going to sort of get sucked into his orbit more and, if people remember, like Taysom Hill was feeding Michael Thomas a lot while killing Alvin Kamara. And maybe that the Thomas part being out is what changes the equation more. But I think if anything, it's just going to mean Taysom runs a lot more. You see some targets going to Traquan. Lil Jordan Humphrey could end up getting some run as the only big receiver they have left. Uh, but I think to me, it just becomes a really muddy picture. And I think people treating Alvin Kamara like he's the big beneficiary here. I think it's just a big mistake because I think he benefits if you have Winston starting. But if you have Taysom Hill out there, killing those PPR points for Kamara is so huge. And that's the difference for him from being being a, a 20 fantasy point back a week or 20 fantasy points a week back to a 30 fantasy point week back. So a uh, watch the starters there, I think is the main thing I'm seeing. 
Desha, uh, Deshaun Watson, Pete, this is one you tweeted me about. Uh, playing some scout team third down back for the Houston Texans in a classic playmaker storyline. And you have to assume he's leaving, but I also feel like if I'm a team paying for him, like, do you want to pay the price tag of what three first round picks, what they're looking for three to five, I guess, depending on the reports. I don't know how you do that because the reports on the, the massage stuff and just how those things are blowing with how the media is covering it. It feels like it's not getting much better for him. Yeah, I don't I feel like the Texans need to maybe set some more realistic expectations for their trade demands here of like what they're selling. It's like they just bought something, like they broke it and now they're trying to sell it to everyone at full price and it's like we're not buying that camera. We can see the lens is broken. Like give us a discount here. So I I don't know what they're kind of thinking. Um I feel like the worst case scenario is they get stuck with him and then the litigation stuff continues to come down hard on him. If anything, I feel like I would just want to get out from underneath that move on. Like I know he's a franchise quarterback. I know he's young, but man, I, I don't know. I, I, it just seems like this is going to go South and I would, I'd be willing to take what I could get at this point. Yeah, I think to me, like the Philly offer rumored to be like Jalen Hurts plus a couple draft picks. That's more than enough from where I would view the situation where you're getting a, a young QB who can be your starter. You could still probably tank well enough to get a draft pick and I think are, you know, a high enough draft pick to make it worthwhile. I think if you're the Texans, you're just trying to get him out there. And I, I don't know why this Philly trade hasn't happened when it's been rumored pretty heavily the last three to four weeks at this point that it's at a certain point you need to pull uh, pull the trigger on that one. And we got about one minute or two before we should dive into the playmaker stuff. P, and I know you had the, the training camp nuggets and i just thought this was weird because i wrote down our segment sheet any other noteworthy training camp nuggets so far and i saw that your email was actually titled training camp nuggets so i guess we are just very much in the camp of nuggets at training camp but anything that you felt like was pretty good in there because i think you had some interesting points in the newsletter so any final observations you have to throw out before we talk playmakers well one i didn't get into the newsletter that literally just happened about 20 minutes ago that i'm actually pretty upset about is carson wentz is out indefinitely uh oh. with a foot injury thing and i i only read a few tweets about it uh but yeah i mean we're looking at jacob eason now as the quarterback uh i think Wentz, i i had him at like 10 percent uh ownership and underdog he was like my seventh or eighth highest owned quarterback i love their playoff schedule i like their schedule i thought he was a nice like bounce back guy and i've been drafting like a lot of those colts cheap i like Pittman, i like campbell i like mo alley cox late and this is a pretty big blow to a lot of that and um yeah, I mean, I think the running backs become even more interesting now. I mean, Jonathan Taylor and, and Naheem Hines and even Marlon Mack now could be somewhat relevant just considering how they might restructure the offense, considering they have good backs and a good offensive line and now don't have a quarterback. So this is a pretty big deal, I think, for, for fantasy. And my hope is that Wentz will be back at some point and it's not, you know, missing the entire season. Yeah, foot injuries can be weird because you could definitely see somebody bounce back pretty fast. Or you could see it be one of those bone bruise situations that just don't go away. The guy that I'm kind of intrigued by, and I know that you said Easton's the backup QB, but they did take Sam Ellinger this year in the draft. And I feel like he's somebody that has had some success in pulling up his draft stats now from PFF. But he had a 77 PFF grade, uh, pretty good accuracy, it looks like. Uh, not a bad A dot, 11 A dot, 105.5 pass rating on deeper throws. So. Maybe he's somebody that could see a little more run here, but definitely a, a thorny situation because it feels like they got Wentz for the hopes of making a Super Bowl run. If they don't have that, 
Uh, definitely not great, I think, to have Easton or uh, or to have Ballinger in there at this point. Uh, but let's talk playmakers, Pete. And I guess uh, let's dig into this. And I'll give you the floor first. Any overall thoughts on this one? Because I have to say, structure-wise for the show, we've I've complained a lot about the flashback thing and how yeah. they use that and deploy it throughout the year. But in this one, I feel like it was particularly confusing because you don't know what's after the game, what's during the game, what's before the game. And I, I was able to figure it out. I think like, I'm not a complete idiot, but it was definitely just challenging to watch at 8 in the morning here on the West Coast. No, I was the same way. The The flashback stuff was incredibly confusing, the way it was jumping around. And then it would be like, even then jumping to where it would pick up, like right where it was. Like I remember the scene with Olshik and Leon, like getting out and looking at the billboard or whatever. And I feel like that scene happened like five times. And I was mm -hmm. like, because every it was for a while, it was the billboard of Leon. And then at the end, of course, it changed to being the billboard of DH. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? The timeline, yes, I was with you, was very confusing. So the episode is episode 11. This is the finale, as we mentioned here. Week 17 is the title of the episode. And we open. It's a rare twist. We see DH partying. We know he's normally at, at home on a school night, uh, focused on his job. But no, he's out partying. Big sex of the offensive lineman wants him to leave. But uh, he's got to get to bed for football reasons. But DH is partying because he turned in Cal. He got Will Banks off his back. And then DH... Uh, no, it's a shock to no one, I guess, uh, does miss the practice once again, the last week of the season in the playoffs. And I feel like this is the one thing that frustrates me, Pete, where we have seen absolutely zero character growth from DH. And I wrote this in the beginning of the episode. By the end of the episode, it was even more prevalent. But he's been through so much. And in terms of, like, dramatic storytelling, I don't want to get too precious about it. But, like, character arcs are the whole thing with everything we watch out there. Movies, TV, it's about a person starts here, they end up here. That's the whole point of everything we do. Going back to Greek operas and whatever, that's just what it would be and dh has had zero growth in a way that i just don't like it's a call i actually want to bring up who the showrunner of this is and what he's done since at, at some point in this episode but like this is just bad tv like how is this guy not improved at all in any way yeah and also the kind of trope of you know players being assholes and in missing practices and stuff i feel like that's generally more you know training camp volunteer workouts like that's when they kind of flex like hey you know i'm a star i don't need to be here but we're talking about the week before a must win game to make the playoffs and this is when he wants to have a power struggle in the way he's talking about it I love how serious I'm talking about this. the way he's talking about he does not actually care about like going to practice. It's not that he hates practice. It's that he just wants to prove that he's worth more and more important than the coach in a power struggle with Will Banks. It was such a pissing contest by DH. And I was shocked as well. I'm like, of all the times to to continue to just want to play this game, I was very disappointed in his personal growth. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things that I like he could either be more of a villain or less of a villain, but it said he's just the exact same villain, exact same asshole he's been throughout. And it just frustrates me as somebody who does enjoy good storytelling. But DH gets lectured by the coach. DH thinks the point is to win. Coach thinks that having everybody follow the rules, that's winning, which is the fucking squarest quote I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I know it's like the coach just he he's so rough. He's very rough. Even like his every time he does one of his, uh, you know, pregame speeches that's supposed to get the, the guys riled up. It's always like the most vanilla thing. He's like, now go out there and do what we've talked about doing. <laughs> it's like, come on, dude. Like at least just like drop an F-bomb or something like to get us riled up here. Your football players go play football. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> there is a lot of him just repeating a lot of parallelism in his uh, pregame speeches. Uh, but coach says uh, basically going to war with coach and a weird time for coach to draw the lines at this point, given how he's basically been bent over by DH at every turn and Woolbanks as well. But DH says if you put Woolbanks between him with the game on the line, he's choosing DH. Uh, we will learn that DH is in fact right. Uh, coach recaps the season for the guys of the montage of injuries, big hits, and then DH getting arrested for some reason. <laughs> As a part of this montage, which I guess could have been the entire montage, Pete, but I just I, the show is just so stupid. <laughs> Will you remind me? Was this was the show canceled or was this meant to be like the finale? Like, did they know this was the last episode of this season? Man, that's tough. Okay, so let's that, that's actually a good question. A, NFL cancels playmakers. I know it was like rumored to not come back, but okay, February 5th, 2004, and then final playmakers episodes. So that's when the news came out that it wasn't coming back. Yeah. And then final episode of playmakers air date was November 11th, 2003. So there were a few months after, so they must not have known or like they might have had an inkling or something, but if I not spoil the ending here, I do think the ending definitely was a a show that's like, yeah, we're coming back. Exactly. Yeah. The ending was like that. And the way that they continue to introduce like new plots, things that they hadn't been really uh, hammering home throughout the, throughout this whole season. I was like, this did not feel like, a true finale. Like it definitely felt like, no, we'll just, you know, keep doing our usual stuff and we'll be back. Also classic playmakers, by the way, seeing these dates now that they aired week 17 during on November 11th. Like why not at least try to line it up a little bit. You would think with the show, like I know there's traditional TV scheduling and all that, but I like to capitalize on the, Hey, we're doing the show based on reality. Like at least kind of line it up with the season. You'd think. Yeah, you would you would think, but I I don't think there was much thought that went into the show. As Perhaps we've learned, that might be the main takeaway from the show. Uh, meanwhile, Leon's monologuing about himself. The team acting selfish and bad as always, but the team is fired up though because they can make the playoffs. Big, sexy, kind of half-assedly quotes the Bible, and then he goes. To, he says, "A wise man once said, we're going to kick some ass today.'" <laughs> and I don't know what wise man said that. It does frankly, Pete it doesn't sound like the quote of a wise man. That had like big youth pastor trying to be cool energy. You know, it was like, I am still a Christian, but I will occasionally say the word ass and it will make me seem very edgy and cool. That she had what makes big sexy edgy and cool is, is using the word ass, not helping DH get away with his crack shenanigans or anything like that. Uh, we're also recapping old Shake season, which includes him paralyzing a guy and then asking the like the model girls slash college uh athletics department employee, whatever she is. Uh, she he wants her to move in with him now, but it turns out that old Shake got someone else pregnant, seemingly a model girl at that Haley's Whisper party, which I honestly don't remember him sleeping with somebody else. It was really just thrown under the rug, but they bring it back here. It turns out that girl's pregnant, and it turns out also this is different girls, which was very confusing to me initially. Uh, Olshik took a paternity test, and the girlfriend isn't happy about it and asks, where do they leave us? Where does that leave us? And she's going to cancel her movers. And uh, just kind of a sad storyline here, Pete, where uh, we, you know, there's going to be more to come here. But Olshik, just uh, a downer of a guy who gets one more downer here on the way out of the season. Yeah, and it is funny because we've had a few other paternity storylines this season and all the other players, you know, like McConnell could give a shit about this. But Olshik, you know, just being the very thoughtful, empathetic guy that he is, uh, this really hit him hard. Uh, and it's like all of these things, like these guys play football for a living, but Olshik, you know, uh, paralyzing someone, you know, racks him with guilt. So, of course, knocking a girl up was going to be a, a big source of angst for him. And then he proceeds to go around to all of his teammates to try to garner sympathy. And all of them are just like, dude, you know, take it on the chin and move on. And it's one of those two where Olshik, you know, clearly is the moral 
conscious of the show, but like he clearly looks like an asshole to all these guys throughout. And then we find out he actually is an asshole by the end of the episode. And it's just getting played. So uh downer storyline here for old chick, but I guess one that does at least again, he's a guy who has character growth, who learns from things and all that. Uh Woolbanks wants Leon to take the front office role that we saw him offered by that uh shady scout guy the other week. Uh, he wants a front office role that would pay 150 K a year. But Leon doesn't want that because he makes that in a half that we also flashed, I guess, sideways to Leon talking to his accountant is accountant wants him to trend $200,000 a year off as a budget to, to adjust for his post playing career. And that's a lot of money, Pete. I don't know. $200,000. Like I think they're assuming he's still going to have some earnings. So he's spending in the neighborhood of, I guess, 500,000 to $750,000 a year just on keeping up his lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the times are changing here. Uh, I mean, I guess like in the scheme of NFL contracts, like it can seem a little bit like a rounding error, but in reality, $200,000 is a, a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah, Leon living the life, I guess, of an average Joe and pandemic world uh, while also being 18 years ahead of that. Uh, DH scores a nice touchdown during the game and is happy. Coach is not. Uh, the team doctor, we're, again, we're flashing all over the place throughout this episode. The team doctor thinks Big Sexy should lose weight for the sake of his diabetes. His career would be over, though, if he loses the weight. Uh, it's weird to throw this plot to me suddenly in the last episode where uh, Big Sexy is going through the struggle, I guess, of his weight issues. And this one, Pete, like, is actually a legit thing for linemen. I don't know if you've seen Jeff saturday on some content now but like yeah. uh, joe thomas did the american ninja warrior thing like these guys really do fuck their bodies up probably worse than anybody else in football yeah no and i mean it's i i've heard those interviews too about how hard it is too for they like want to be in shape they don't want to eat shitty but they're also kind of required to keep up that mass uh just you know by way of what their job is uh yeah that I actually thought that was an interesting subplot, but again, a very weird subplot to introduce in the finale. Like that seems like it would be a good, like ongoing one throughout the season that he was wrestling with. Uh, also real quick, did you notice on the DH touchdown? So he does the somersault flip mm -hmm. and it cuts away like right before you see it, but it looks like very awkward and almost like he's not even going to land it. Like it looks like he's going to just fall on his ass, which I thought was funny. And then also like, DH and the coach are just absolutely pissed after the touchdown. It's like, guys, this is like a must-win game, and he just ripped off a 50-yard run, and you guys aren't excited about it? Like, what is even going on here? Yeah, I, I feel like you got to be all in with supporting DH if you're going to play him and you're going to you know, get bent over by the coach like that. But yeah, I, I didn't see the backflip thing. The one thing that I mentioned earlier in the show, which I think has been there each time, is I feel like there's a lot of editing around Omar Gooding in particular, where like he clearly must not be anything close to athletic would be my thought. And I, yeah. and I don't know that that backs out because I thought he was a good athlete when he was on Nickelodeon, but I might just be misremembering that. No, yeah, that's the vibe I got too, is that uh, these are definitely stunt doubles. And I will say, I was actually, it made me think about that. And again, to jump forward, when they were watching the end of the, uh, I don't know, the Jersey game that they were waiting on, like that game footage, like looked very realistic in the way uh, that quarterback, Luther, I think, how he dodged that sack. I was like, holy shit, that was a sick dodge. He like ducked and the guy went over him. And so I was pretty impressed with playmakers staging the, that football game there. Yeah, apparently much better at staging games that aren't involving the core cast. But I, yeah, yeah Luther <laughs> Luther Hawkins is a star. Like I think that's, we'll, we'll get to Luther here at the end of the episode. But as we saw a couple a couple games ago for them, a couple episodes for us, uh, Luther Hawkins really the one good football player in this entire fake football league. Uh, Steve Lyles, the asshole coach, is back in the mix. For some reason, he's the one who's policing 
losing Big Sexy's weight. He wants Big Sexy to be at 320 pounds, and he's 12 pounds under, so he gets fined $1,200. Then Big Sexy, and again, I'm just trying to trying to put the plots in a way that's a little more cohesive. Big Sexy's lifting heavy and wants Lyles to be mindful of his diabetes results, which Lyles initially didn't low didn't know, but Lyles doesn't really care when he hears about it. Big Sexy's a higher risk to die. Lyles says no one else is trying to get smaller in that rate room as we see these guys pumping up like an old school Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Lyle says he can't take care of his health or play football. Big Sex says he's going to lose the weight. And I feel like this journey, Pete, again, if it had been done two episodes, makes a lot more sense. But he ends up just playing anyway and getting fat again <laughs> to not lose his career. And very sympathetic, less sympathetic when it's crammed in to the final episode of the year as just a, a needless five minute plot line. And we also get our first bit of, you know, cuck boy getting scenes where he isn't necessarily just being a total cuck, which again, it's like maybe should introduce that a little bit earlier to kind of balance the range of his character. Yeah, a lot of things, a lot of fixes they picked up for, for week 11 that they could have probably picked up a week <laughs> four and made a much better show. Uh, DH gives Allen Iverson's practice speech to the media. Uh, we all know the one by now. We're not talking about games. We're talking about practice. It basically just steals that entirely, but not in a way that's referential at all. Just to, it seems like DH is plagiarizing this in a way that uh, would not be welcomed in the community. Uh, Coach loves the competitiveness and how he tries in a game. I thought this is one interesting shot, Pete, where they had like the coach talking to the media and then DH talking to the media and they have him in a split screen where the coach is basically disagreeing and out of all the things on playmakers where it has been so half-assed production-wise throughout that was one thing that actually did represent like how the media can twist things how these guys also might have different agendas like one good shot to close out the show yeah uh i also i did enjoy that scene too where they were asking him uh or it was like about the specific uh, running back play or whatever the the playbook had designed for that and he's just like there's nothing to it you just get the ball and run which I kind of appreciate that candor for him because I feel like running backs would want to make it seem like what they do is actually very technical and hard and he's just admitting like I don't even need to know the play I just know they're handing the ball off to me and then I'm just going to try to do my best and uh, I think it again speaks to playmakers kind of shedding a light on the whole running backs don't matter movement <laughs> from a few weeks ago talking about Leon uh, being replaceable in the league. So that again, another bit of story writing here. That's actually turned the corner. Yeah, and Leon ends up being as important as DH has been at any point throughout the year in the fourth quarter. But uh, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I feel like DH uh, certainly simplifies the position pretty well. And uh, it's all about volume. That's what we say time and time again. Uh, the coach wants Will, uh, Will Banks backing for how he wants to handle DH's situation, but Will Banks will not bench DH. Coach says that they can win without him. Will Banks says, don't insult me. Uh, I feel like this is an agree to disagree scenario. But um, overall, Will Banks uh, says he's doing him a favor, doing coach a favor overall, because coach needs to take the team deep in the playoffs for his contracts to be renewed. It also seems odd that the coach shows the owner of the scheme uh, normally. I feel like that's one thing to stick out to me. Like, I don't know what he's going to offer with that one, but I guess Will Banks so controlling, not that far off. But um, coach, I, I feel like they, they could have done more with the kind of Shakespearean drama of it all. Like if this were like a really well done show, you have coach like coaches playing for his own job too. He's coaching for his own job. He's dealing with his health issues and all that. And instead it's like, I think coach is more sympathetic by the end of the show, Pete, but I feel like there really could have been a much cleaner journey to get to that point or to, you know, go a different direction. Yeah. Uh, and also again, too, I think in a, in a lot of these scenarios, the, the owner is actually going to side with the coach 
uh, in these things. And so this was just more kind of the, the Will Banks Machiavellian thing again. So they're probably like backed into a corner with that one. I also loved how Will Banks, uh, was mad and he's like, I'm, I'm so sick of all these distractions, right? Here he goes, I'm worried about this being a distraction to our team. I was like, dude, your players have been, uh, under murder investigations, domestic assault accusations. They're doing Coke in the corridors of the stadium you own. I mean, this is probably one of the least, uh, worrisome distractions you've had all season. I also feel like for Will Banks too, like he loves throwing himself into every distraction and making yeah. more distractions off of the distractions. Like when he tried to get DH to get rid of his friends and all that. So I feel like that's also not congruent with the character. Like it's not like we're seeing him like popping like fucking pills or whatever. Alka-Seltzer in between it all. Like he's just loving every distraction and, and forcing his way into each, like every single one. So I just don't buy that he's sick of distractions. I think he gets off on it. I think he enjoys the drama of it all. Uh, Leon asked Samantha, the reporter, about his demo reel. She tells him the boss liked it and wants him in for an audition. And Leon, perfectly mediocre at reading off a teleprompter. And then they ask him, when can you start? And I, uh, Pete, I don't know if you felt differently here, but Leon, maybe it's because we have so many shows now. You do streams. Like there's so many compelling personalities out there. Leon did not strike me as a very compelling personality reading that teleprompter. No, but he definitely fits the genre of former, you know, professional athlete who's vaguely competent on camera, but becomes looks incredible on paper to TV execs because it's like, wow, you played professional sports and you can read a sentence. Uh, we are falling <laughs> over ourselves to give you money. That's true. Now the job would be like, what's the spiciest take you can give us about Simone Biles? It's like what they would ask Leon. <laughs> and he would perk it up. He would do it the best he can. Uh, but I would say that, yeah, that's definitely a lower bar, perhaps, or maybe a higher bar. I don't really know. <laughs> Look at that one. A uh, good point by Tom, by the way, in the YouTube chat. Why does the coach even want to stay with the team slash owner? I guess that he just never saw any given Sunday and didn't realize that he can start a new team with Willie Beeman. And that would be a fun twist at the end of the movie. But yeah, the coach, I feel like coach doesn't have a lot of self-worth. This really is a show about guys who lack self-worth enough to stand up for what they really believe in. Yeah, other than uh, DH and McConnell, I mean, those guys, may, the only, sometimes the person we're standing up for uh, is just yourself and not caring about anyone else. And those guys definitely demonstrate that. Olshik provides some updates for guard dog McConnell and Big Sexy about his paternity test results. McConnell is not a fan of quote unquote women's right to choose and thinks, <laughs> and thinks it's their right to choose access to your bank account. Uh, they also talk about a guy named Carney who's a fixer, a paternity suit fixer who'll get him quote unquote the best rate. The guys are horrified that he talked to Beth about the truth of the paternity suit, tells Olshik to get her jewelry that's again quote unquote, I'm putting a lot of quotes here because I don't want any of these things attributed to me right now especially. Uh, Kobe nice is what he wants the jewelry to be and also chastise them and wants the child and not an arrangement. Uh, how did you think about all this Pete? Cause I McConnell McConnell's really got a great role because like he's another guy we talked about really not a lot of growth. So I guess he did kind of show some at some points when he got cuck boy, Phil, the increased job and parking spot and all that. But like McConnell has the easiest job here. Cause he just gets to be like fun fuck boy guy. And like, nothing's ever that serious for him. And even when it is, he just kind of skirts away and he probably was the most fun character to play on the entire show. Yeah. It, it, just, it just goes back to that thing of every one of these characters just being the most selfish individuals in the world. And Olshik is the only guy that has like a little bit of a conscience. And so this is just the classic scenario playing out of him having a breakdown. None of the other players care. And uh, I will say like I, the writers clearly have fun uh, writing for McConnell because he definitely gets uh, most of the best lines. I guess DH definitely gets some, some too, but McConnell's up there. 
So one thing I didn't prep for this week is I just didn't think we'd have enough time, but I was curious about is just where these actors ended up for this. And uh, it does seem like Christopher Wheel, the guy who played McConnell, uh, he was a guest star on Buffy at some point. He also <laughs> played a police officer in a Hollywood homicide in 2003 as Cheeseburger Cop. Uh, but he has continued to work since uh, up through 2020. So I guess good for Christopher Wheel. And again, McConnell, I feel like he could have easily been like the asshole boyfriend in a rom-com at some point. He just didn't get that break. Yeah, no, I he he has that look of where I could have seen him being a recurring character actor in some of those things. Yeah, that asshole boyfriend is a is a very good call. He also is. I mean, no offense, Pete. He is the one that looks the most like you, I think, out of everybody on the show. Thank you. Yeah, no, you you told me that last time, and I'm still yeah, still wrestling with that comp. I guess it's, it's either him or Gerwitz, really. I think just based on <laughs> the, the options that we have, depending or on how tan I am. Yeah, you could be a big guard, uh, like you could be a little guard dog. You would be, <laughs> you would be the Tuawa version of guard dog. Um, though I was impressed by your height and some of your vacation photos, just for what it's worth. Thank you. Were you yeah. uh, you were doing technical analysis on my photos to figure out? How <laughs> no, I, just, I saw your fucking you put a you put a carousel out of your fun times, and I'm like, Pete's looking tall in some of these. I was gonna oh, comment, it, but I was like, yes, I don't, yes, I don't yes. know. <laughs> I think the world needed it. Anyway, Carney's a fixer who's meeting with Olchik. Um, he thinks that he can get an abortion from the girl or get an, uh, Carney thinks that is can get an abortion out of the girl, but Olchik doesn't believe in that. He's got <laughs> this guy, Carney, honestly, in terms of just pure professionalism, in terms of approaching this fixer job, like uh, some sort of insurance salesman, he's got customization options for payment plans. He mentions that Leon uh, was a referral here, recommended that Carney talk to him. I feel like Carney certainly a sleazeball, Pete, but in a way where like that doctor who gave the catheter DH, like he's a pro. Like at the end of the day, these guys are pros. Yeah. And, and another thing, just I'm imagining the writers doing their research for this. They, they must have like tracked down guys who actually did this to get this level of specificity uh which is which makes it even more funny yeah, the one thing they did research on they're like the football part we don't need to nah. do that <laughs> let's look up the abortion fixer uh <laughs> leon uh leon talks with olshik and he's also telling olshik that the team needs him um he wishes that he was in that spot and that's during the game as we're flashing around to the the other things too uh then we're also seeing dh talks to the media mentions that he took the torch from leon and their war is over leon confronts dh in the locker room afterwards and DH, I guess, expects some sort of challenge, mentions the 40 or the power lift. And instead, Leon just punches him out. And I think, Pete, if you had to choose here, knowing what we know of these two guys, DH, to me, kind of soft. And I think Leon would beat the shit out of him. Yeah, uh, I'm actually, that would be an interesting fight. Yeah, and I mean, just what we've seen, I feel like we've seen Leon wanting to stay in shape. You know, he continues to hit the weight room. DH just seems so lazy. He's drinking. He's partying. He clearly has just insane athleticism to where it doesn't seem to matter. Um, that one would be close. That one would be really close. See, I think to me, Leon's got the advantage because he's hungry still and like he wants it. And DH is just like, DH is like, uh, I don't know. He's uh, like, did you ever watch Futurama by any chance? No. I feel like it's not. Yeah. So there's there's a hedonist bot character on there. which is like this robot that is just like fat and it's just whimsical in a way that like a Greek uh, or a Roman emperor would have been back in the day. And I feel like that's what DH is. Like he's still a, obviously a, pr a premier athlete based on what we see, but he's just getting fat off the spoils already. And like, he's just like living high on the hog in a way that like Leon, despite being the older man, the guy has made more money. Like he wants that job bad. Whereas DH is just like, yes, yeah, sure. I'll do it. If you move I must. I'll do it. I I feel like uh, I I can't stop thinking about this potential Leon uh, versus DH fight. I feel like what would happen 
is, you know, they would get ready and they, you know, start swinging and stuff. And then, you know, Leon would get him down on the ground or something. And then like DH just has like a little shiv in his pocket that he <laughs> takes out and just stabs Leon. It just like at the last minute completely cheats, uh, I think is how it would actually go down. Yeah, DH, I guess maybe the character growth for him is like an 80s pro wrestling heel where it's like he would throw salt in Leon's face and, and then somehow cheat to win. But I don't know. I think Leon wins that one going away. Tell us, it, by the way, the chat, I think chime in as well. Team Leon, um, I would agree. Oh, apparently Gerwitz had a serious role as McMurray on Letterkenny. Good for Gerwitz. Gerwitz, I probably had the most to do acting wise. So good for him that he kept his career going. Yeah, um, I, I'm impressed. Uh, maybe maybe next week, if we uh, don't want to fully say goodbye to Playmakers, we could do a little uh, proper segment on what just, they're up to now. Just watch these guys acting in other roles, and then we'll get a fucking copyright strike again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from, from Letterkenny not wanting us to watch some Gerwitz scenes. Uh, Leon reveals to Olshik that he has a 12-year-old kid. He didn't know about her for the first six years of her life. Found out when he was about to get married. And he's talking to Olshik about this, because Olshik, I guess, is disgusted by Leon doing this. Is the best <laughs> dad that he's ever known. Um, Leon, honestly, makes probably the best argument he's made throughout the show uh, saying that she has a good stepfather who's involved. Olshik can't believe that he doesn't want to be involved. Says that Leon gives her money when all she wants is time. And I feel like that's inaccurate. Like, I think this girl's probably very content to have a loving stepfather and a dad who's just given money. And like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Pete, if you could throw yourself into the mind of a 12 year old girl <laughs> as much as I, as much as I'd like to be able to, but I do think overall, like as long as you have that father figure there, it doesn't matter if it's the father. Yeah, this is like Olshik has this, it's like he's done crummy things, but and now he's like so guilty about it. And he's like wanting to judge other people for like the same situation he's going to find himself in. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But again, I just love between McConnell, McConnell and Leon. They're like, yeah, dude, you just like make it work. You don't really... <laughs> don't really worry about it. And he's like, no, I need to have a breakdown about this. Yeah, Olshik is just so precious about everything, which I feel like is the one thing. And that might just be me, you know, being a dick and not because he's like emotional and he's sentimental and he's gone to therapy and all that. So I feel like these are all positive things for the most part, but he's just a little bit too soft with everything where it's like, oh, if you were just like 5% less of a bitch about this, I'd be fully on your side. But instead, <laughs> it just always goes the other way. Uh, Big Sexy's being benched for a rookie because of his weight loss. Uh, McConnell is being crushed in the present at the same time which didn't make sense because we find out the big sex he's playing. I don't I don't know what the deal is with that one, but again, the plot line didn't need to be there. Woolbanks lectures Leon about his punching out of DH. Woolbanks blames him for not being a leader. Leon tells him what an asshole he's been for all the bullshit he's pulled, listed out the fact that Woolbanks wouldn't trade uh, Leon for a first-round pick, even though he didn't clearly didn't want to play Leon. He's jerking Leon around about the offseason, even though he had no intentions of re-signing him, then trying to give him this job. And then uh, Woolbanks is just being called out for all his assholery, and in reply saying, I here you got a job on channel 12 happy for you well Megs, you know good shit heel here as well too like he's just a dick and um took leon's uh explosion in stride and then just got a little dig in kind of i felt like shitting on channel 12 in a way that we don't appreciate given that they do serious broadcasting there <laughs> yeah that i mean again like you said there's just so many confusing things going on here with the uh, the dh or the big sexy stuff uh was confusing to me as well um, and I, the one thing as I neared the end of this episode and was seeing that scene with Leon and Will Banks, I was just, I'm very excited to be done with Leon. He has been an exhausting character throughout this season. And that, uh, that scene with Will Banks was another reminder of how glad I am to get him out of my life.
it's kind of like I don't know if I don't really have any of these friends. I guess that I like to the full extent of it that I would envision it. But it's like having a friend where you're like, "Fuck, man, just like figure it out." Like you got like things are not that bad for you, and like you're acting like everything's so terrible. And that's just what Leon is. Like everything he just kind of makes worse, or it just gets worse. And that includes a situation where he gets fired already for punching out DH in front of the reporters, and he's baffled by it. But then Samantha, the reporter, explains that it's worse after the Robin situation. Leon's just an idiot. Like I, I get like. I, I think there was something cathartic in him punching out DH like that probably should have happened five episodes ago based on everything that we saw building up. But also just another thing that like Leon, another character who doesn't get to grow and learn because he's just a hothead idiot who ruins it for himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I definitely think uh, he's he's a perplexing character, <laughs> but he does get his redemption at the end and it doesn't feel deserved because he doesn't. I don't know. He doesn't learn anything along the way, but then we still get a feel good moment for him at the end, which I'm willing to buy into because I am a sucker for actual good uh, sports movie scenes. But we got McConnell who's on back in the game here. McConnell's pumped the team up saying <laughs> we can win this game to which DH replies. If I get the ball enough, we will. <laughs> Team established the run here, Pete. I know you're doing some work with establish the run. So good to see the branding here. So prominent in 2003. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was the other funny thing earlier in the episode when the coach was saying we can win without DH. And it was like, can you, because he's literally your entire offense. Like you give him the ball 35 times a game and you've already said Leon has lost a step and can't do things DH has. So, um, I, I do think McConnell uh, probably should just give DH the ball since that's all they've done all year. Yeah, they also forced out their one good receiver who is the only pro bowler on the team as well. So not a lot offensively besides DH, but DH now uh, we're getting another flashback. DH now is a personal driver via coach. If DH isn't there for the personal driver, there'll be a police escort because coach has a lot of friends on the force. This is probably one of those scenes that would have played better in 2003 than it does in 2021. Uh, coach very much, a I think, a thin blue line type guy. If we had to go back in time. DH spoke to Will Banks. Uh, Will Banks made his loyalties very clear to DH. Coach is sorry that dh can't see he's just trying to help him and i think that tends to be the theme of the show dh everybody wants to help dh to improve and get better including me as a viewer and instead he is just continues to be the biggest scumbag of all uh leon then has to go back to will banks asking for the front office position asking if it's still open oh we flash to dh seemingly tearing an acl during the game pete you watched this for the first time did you think that dh just tore his acl or did you see the the twist coming with his health at the end of the game I did not. Yeah, I did not seeing that uh, twist coming there. I did think he had just uh, hurt himself during the game. I, w I Explain to me what I think I might have missed that part at the end because I don't even understand what they were trying to do with that storyline. So they made it look like DH tore his ACL. Then he's getting the MRI. Turns out he can come back to the game, but coach doesn't want to use him because now he can get away with not using him, I guess. Right. As this whole thing of to kind of get the power play again yeah. to to wrestle that back even though in this one case this is the one time dh didn't do something wrong right completely incidental uh, or accidental uh whatever yeah it's just more bullshit from these guys the model girl comes to see old chick and he got a per uh, pepperoni pizza it turns out she's vegetarian they also really make pepperoni pizza look unappealing as she's picking the little flecks of fatty meat off um he's trying to figure out plans uh, i guess of what they could do but she's hired a lawyer we then go to the negotiation she she has hired a lawyer and she's moving away to san luis obispo and his relationship with his child has been reduced to an arrangement they just the scene closes with they understand old chick is just 
signed a four-year, $12 million contract. I thought it was more money, by the way, a couple episodes ago. I feel like it was in the 20s, but either way, um, real fucking shitty here. And this show has not done a great job servicing the female characters, but just one more, like, not great reflection on female characters on the way out. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I guess the closest to a female character having some of their own agency on this show would have been the reporter, right? Yeah. Cause she like, she wants to bang. She wants to do her job. She wants to get the, the story. She, yeah, she was always looking out for number one. Like the guys were. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, every one of these, uh, female characters is, is just a pawn in these, uh, assholes lives. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would say, although I guess, you know, the, the next scene is Beth, uh, who is the guy that the girl that Olshik has been dating. The good news for him is that now he can be with Beth and offer so that her move in again, she feels like a prop for his sadness. Their relationship is over. Beth, one female character, like not featured well, not fleshed out in any way, but she did stand up for herself and I guess not want to be in a toxic situation. I'm sure if there were a season two, they'd get back together and be happy. But uh, for the, how this ended, like, I feel like I guess she did have a backbone and finally somebody didn't take one of the football players bullshit. Yeah, it is kind of fitting for Olshek in that he's just kind of handles everything with half measures. He's like somewhat guilty, somewhat not. And then he literally loses everything. Uh, because he can't just uh, make up his mind. So uh, you hate to see it, Olshik. And now we are down to the football scene. So we're getting real football here, and this is this is where we can poke some holes in things. The Cougars down four with Leon taking over in the backfield after DH is hurt, and they are running the ball incessantly in the fourth quarter. There is a minute left, and they are just running, running, and Leon gets the ball down the field. We find out he, in fact, got 83 all-purpose yards in this drive. But Pete, they're doing handoffs. There was one screen pass in there, and boy, a risky game of clock management here for the Cougars. Can't you do like just one like deep pass, you know, play. Play. yeah, just anything like a play action just to show like, Hey, we were able to move down the ball down the field quickly. And then Leon punches it in, but yeah, no, who's, who's burning the clock while down and needing to go 80 yards down the field. And it wasn't even too like they could take a field goal. They needed four points. So there was no way they needed at least four to tie more to win <laughs> three runs on the screen with 42 seconds left. As Tom points out, it is baffling football play calling here. I think this is one thing too, where did you ever watch Friday night lights? The, yeah. the show? Yeah. So you know how that like people would hate like, Oh, everything's a wild Harry Mary hail Mary trick play. We saw not one of those on this fucking show. Did the pendulum swing too far? And they're like, that's too cliche. Let's portray real football, which is running as if there is no clock to worry about. <laughs> I think Friday Night Lights might have come out after Playmakers. So maybe they learned from the mistakes and they're like, let's make every football scene a complete joy to watch. And instead, this one, it's just like, oh God, why are they running 1950s West Point football? <laughs> well, and again, it, it goes back to the whole thing of they never developed characters in the passing game. So they never like, wanted to feature that they and they always made mcconnell seem like he was like a bottom three quarterback in the entire league uh so it makes sense in that context but that would actually be a good storyline like you get down and you need to go 80 yards down the field now you actually finally need to pass you could actually work that in holy shit now the onus is on mcconnell to finally do something but instead they're like nah we'll just let him keep running the ball <laughs> <laughs> and McConnell did have the one good screen does have also a game winning touchdown to Leon, a 15 yard TD while DHC's on the sidelines. The team is celebrating. Uh, the team is very happy. And uh, DH says, enjoy your five minutes of fame because that's all you're going to get because DH again will not be a good guy at any point at all throughout the show. Cuckboy Phil Chambers tells the team that Phoenix is down 10 and McConnell says it's not over yet. And it's pretty damn close. The guys are opening champagne. Coach gives them a speech about how six weeks ago, no one believed in them, but the men 
this room. Now they're the hottest team in the league and no one wants to play them. Um, also the six game win streak, I guess they were on. So they must've been three and seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like they've been winning all of these past weeks. I love that that McConnell line was like meant to be like a punchline uh, about, but, but it's pretty damn close. <laughs> it's like, okay, actually it wasn't uh, McConnell. <laughs> and also the way you hear these coaches in the league now and the way these locker rooms operate, like there's no way a team would have started celebrating until that mm -hmm. game was over. Like there's just no way. <laughs> I mean, all these coaches can barely be bothered to, uh, to think like one game ahead. Like I, I just don't buy that. Yeah. I mean the win probability calculator is probably not as strong at that point, but I think there was still definitely enough of a chance. They probably wouldn't have celebrated uh, Willis, by the way, our accountant pointing out in the chat, Friday night lights is 2006. So there, that is hopefully they learned the mistakes of playmakers and actually made a good show. Maybe, maybe Friday night lights couldn't exist without playmakers. That's the one, <laughs> the one credit we can give the playmakers here. Uh, coach gives away the game ball announces that there was a 26 out of 38 day for 256 yards from McConnell. So I guess he actually had a fairly competent game, decent game by relative to the 2003 standards also a forced turnover for old uh, turnover for Olshik. Leon had 83 all-purpose yards in less than a quarter and at least one touchdown so he gets the game ball but we see the phoenix game phoenix has recovered an onside kick they're only down 21 16 luther hawkins comes up on the screen as phil turns on the tv Olshik's i thought a good callback says i hate that guy breaks an electric 60 yard run to walk into the end zone and win the game and if this were on red zone pete this would be the most fantastic moment that red zones ever happened luther hawkins is a real star of the show and you can't tell me otherwise no i completely agree like i said earlier the way he dodged that first i assume it's like a linebacker blitzing up the middle and i was like i legitimately thought it was cool how he dodged him and mm -hmm. then uh evaded the rest of the attacks and then got got going there yeah that would have been like top play on sports center uh in reality and by far the most realistic looking football scene we've seen all year and in the last line of show, they have they've seen their season come to an end here. All their hard work, their win streak, they're the team nobody wants to play. They don't make the playoffs. And the last line of the show is coach saying, Chambers, turn it off. And I felt like, you know, in terms of the endings to a show, like, you know, in terms of the satisfaction level, I'd put this above the Sopranos. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, it's very fitting. The show ended. And in the last line is the coach saying, hey, cuck boy, turn it off. Yeah, I mean, just... I got emotional when he said that when the credits rolled, it was just like, wow, the journey that we had been on and to have an ending like that, that just pays off and perfectly ties up all the storylines was it was emotional. I kind of wonder too, like if maybe they just had their episode order cut, like sometimes happens in the show and they, maybe they're supposed to do 15 and they were going to have them go on a run to the playoffs and they're like, Oh no, well they're, they're kind of episode now. We'll be back for season two. And they put that ending in just like kind of hopefully, but they might've had a whole storyline where the Cougars run to the, the playoffs and, and win the championship. And we'll never know. And this is actually the question I had. And I followed this guy on Twitter. I don't, I assume I won't get a follow back because he hasn't been active uh, since 2017. The creator of, of this show playmakers is the guy behind the blacklist now. He's the showrunner of the blacklist. Like he's legitimately had a successful wow. career. So I was hoping he'd be like some nobody who's like done nothing since. And maybe we can get him for an interview. So it probably will be tough to get him. But I wonder like what his thoughts were about like what he would do with the storyline moving forward. Yeah, uh, I say we continue to shoot our shot. That would be awesome to uh, to talk to him. Yeah, I think it's like the show seems like one of those things where they loved the premise and the concept for the show so much. And then ESPN was like, all right, do it. And then they're like, oh shit, we actually have to like 
come up with characters and ways to make it work. It it didn't, as opposed to like, I feel like a lot of good shows that are, are, okay, we have this central character and we know the arc he's going to go on and we're going to build around it. It was just like, what if we just had uh, all of the uh, NFL taboos play out over the course of a season for a fictional football team? And then with yeah. no other thought that went into it. And I think the show that came around out around the time was The Shield, which was like a very important show for like the anti-hero genre on FX with a uh, guy, Michael Chiklis, who you guys might remember more as the thing uh, from whatever the Fantastic Four movies were out for a while. But like that was a legit like anti-hero show where they where everything was so edgy, like guys were doing meth. This character is like uh, the whole premise is like a cop who's doing things and doing things off the books and doing things illegally and whatever. And I feel like around that time, every show was starting to do that model where it's like everything has to be so salacious. Everything has to be so over the top. And then, you know, Sopranos got a little more steam. Mad Men got a little more steam and people realize less is more. But I agree like this show, if it was just a little more less is more, if this guy, this writer, uh, John Eisendrath is the guy's name. So if he's listening somehow, we want you, John. We want you so bad. We want to know everything in your head. Um, I, I, like maybe if this show were made now, like maybe it would be made with more of the subtleties or knowing like, hey, we want to have really cool football scenes. But because this show was such an albatross in 2003, like we'll probably never see another show like it. So I don't know. That, that's my eulogy for the show is I feel like it was inventive. It was a ballsy move by ESPN to do this at that time, especially. And um, it'd be nice to see it come back. And, you know, maybe if, I, if ever if Pete, if things ever work out in a certain way where we have the years of ESPN, First thing I'll mention is, hey, can we bring back Playmakers? <laughs> there you go. Uh, Splash Playmakers is what we will call it. Uh, yeah, I, I do think I do think this show could be done well as like a HBO style prestige mm -hmm. TV. I mean, and I know that they did Ballers, but that's more like sitcom. That's Entourage. Yeah, it, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, there is a way to do this show well. And I think the other thing is like focus in on one or two kind of plot arcs as opposed to like again every single taboo you know domestic violence drug use you know paternity cases it's like they were throwing so much shit against the wall to i mean it was just beyond uh being remotely believable whereas if you would have dialed in on a few like pick just uh peds or pick just you know team infighting or something to kind of be the focal point and then you can actually get invested in the storyline and in a real way I think they could have done the storytelling too. Like, you know, if this show had come out and, and had more time to see lost, like they could have done every episode is like focused on one player and you're telling their stories and you learn some interesting thing. Like at the one end of one episode, you learn that Gerowitz is gay and he's closeted at the end of one episode. You learn that McConnell's banging every lady. Like, I don't know. Like, you learn, like there's ways to do this that are better that I think could get there. So uh, maybe, maybe at some point they will try it and get it right. But uh, let's talk about to close out the episode. We'll give out the awards. We'll speed run those, but player futures. We got to ask what, happened to so what would be our best guess what happened to all these guys and full credit goes to our guy yes man who always watches the episode sends us his thoughts afterwards got to give him the, the full shout out here what happened to dh pete because i do feel like for me i think pete uh that dh probably had a couple of good years and then he fizzled out as his addiction monsters or just honestly had a tragic like situation i dh to me was just building to be a 30 for 30 of like a cautionary tale yeah i don't even know if he makes it a couple seasons i feel like he has some off-season issue will banks just gets fed up actually ends up having to cut him he signs with some random team uh gets in another issue uh ends up playing like a half a season in the cfl and is never heard of ever again
but now he's got like a cannabinoid company. Like he's, he's selling CBDs out there and some sort of like flim flammy way, but maybe he's happy. I hope DH, I hope fictional DH has found peace somehow. What happened to coach? I, I think coach is just probably, again, might probably died a few years later. Like he did. He's not taking good care of his health. He either died or he just had, um, he just fell down the ladder where, you know, how like there's those coaches who are, you know, former, uh, head coaches. And now they're like the tight ends coach for some random team. Yeah. Like he's probably like the running backs coach for the fourth worst team in the league. Now I could see him being, or maybe a Gabby, like a Gary Kubiak type. If you want to give him the best possible outcome or like wow. he landed somewhere and now he's getting his son, that job through nepotism. I think it's how that's working for the Vikings right now. Uh, Leon, what happened with Leon? I think Leon gets another deal here. And I think he has another three years left on his career. Yeah, he he takes care of himself and he wants to play so badly that I can see him uh, being a backup for a few more years. But he had to come to grips with this. Um, he wanted to go start somewhere, but he realizes after talking around the league that, hey, he's just a backup running back. He comes to grips with that and then he becomes uh, the worst, you know, fifth anchor on one of the, you know, morning sports, <laughs> Sunday morning short sports shows. I could see him also becoming a coach. Like, I think I could see him being a coach here. And then one of those guys that's like, you know, in the mix and relates well to players. But I think, yeah, him being the guy just like, oh, over laughing at whatever joke that Terry Bradshaw's throwing out. Not a bad outcome for Leon, given what what a dumbass he was. Olshik, I think probably the most ready made to be a coach, but I feel like he has a like a long career here and just, you know, kind of has his emotionally tortured thing for a while. But I, I feel like Olshik probably the most cut out to have an entire life based around football. See, I was going to go the other way just because of his demons with the paralyzed that all of a sudden he kind of gets overwhelmed of like, why am I spending my life like this? And I could see him like retiring and doing like charity work. I was going to say starting like a kid's football camp, but because of all the CTE and the the stuff, I think he's like going away from football altogether. Maybe he becomes a manager for that modeling agency, considering he seemed to love the ladies over there so much. Yeah. They, and he could teach them all the important ways. So that's a trap athletes, I guess, <laughs> yeah. according to his experience. Uh, Gerwitz, what happens to Gerwitz? I think Gerwitz leaves the team in the off season and has one of the most, actually probably based on what we've just said with all these guys, I think Gerwitz goes somewhere else and has the best career out of everybody on the team. You know, I was never really uh, convinced of Gerwitz's actual talent and ability to earn targets. Um, but I will say that he kind of becomes like the opposite of Colin Kaepernick in that people rally around him for, you know, coming out of the closet finally. And he really leans into that and becomes uh, the poster boy of this new era of a more welcoming and less judgmental NFL. Yeah, like it, honestly, if a guy who made the Pro Bowl at receiver came out like Carl Nassib did in this offseason, like that'd be massive. And especially in this time frame. So I I like giving him this thing where he's like the football Harvey Milk. I think exactly. <laughs> for Gerwitz. Um, I, I forgot to put this guy on the list, but McConnell, what happens to McConnell? I think he has another couple years and then gets one injury and then he just loses the job once they realize there's probably somebody at quarterback who will actually throw the ball more. And as Tom pointed out, won't take bows after throwing for 250 yards in a game. I think McConnell's like uh, Matt Leinart. Uh, I think <laughs> oh, he just Matt has Leinart. a complete fall from grace, gets into all kinds of trouble, gets fat. Uh, it is just a total disaster. 
a, a credible media personality for the Pac-12 now, though, Pete. Is he really? <laughs> yeah, he is. He's he's recovered well. I mean, okay. he was always going to have that soft spot. Like especially for me, like I I've mentioned on the show, but I went to USC at the time frame Matt Leinart was good and at USC and played basketball with him one time. A uh, highlight of my USC career, but I guess which is sad to say now out loud. Uh, <laughs> but I would say like Leinart, yeah, like he's definitely he had the tough run. He had the the kid out of wedlock with the volleyball player girl, and then yeah, then he cleaned his life up, and now he's like I I think he's on ESP. ESPN. He's on like either the Pac-12 network or something, but he's like, he's legit like a personality in media now. See, I actually feel like McConnell's a good comp because I could see him yeah. having that arc too where he's so cocky, he bottoms out, but because he's talented and good looking, he's able to kind of eventually land on his feet again. And then Will Banks, I feel like we close. We don't, I don't think we care unless you really want to talk about big sexier guard dog. I don't have a great reads on them. Will Banks, I think is the one to ask. I feel like he's one of those teams that has like a Donald Sterling situation. <laughs> he comes out and his wife takes over the team and that's, that's gotta be his lot in life. Yeah. Uh, that is, yeah, that is, that seems very good. Like he, it seems like they, they kind of wanted him to be like this Jerry Jones type figure. So uh, I imagine there's some kind of scandal. Maybe it's like the Robert Kraft thing. He ends up at the massage parlor, but mm. something like that. A charmless Jerry Jones is what I would say. So I guess that actually probably is Robert Kraft. <laughs> uh, Post episode awards. I guess we could just do these for the season. Who had the most fantasy upside? I, I think so. If we're talking pure upside, I know it. I know it's got to be DH because DH is the one star here. The most fantasy upside, I think, was still Leon because he was a great pass catcher. And he was every time they put him out there, like his per play numbers must have been fantastic. I think if he got traded to Philly, he would have been a, a top five fantasy running back. All right, but I'm going to say Luther Hawkins, man. I mean, <laughs> just sky high fantasy, uh, you know, completely overshadowed our two main running backs here. Give me Hawkins. Most unrealistic moment of the episode. I feel like that would be Leon punching DH now. I just don't think like I love the scene. I thought it was very overdue, but I just feel like if he was going to punch that man, he would have punched him again like five episodes ago. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. doing his own backflip. No, um, Omar Gooding, you're gonna oh, go Omar, Cuba, Cuba, Cuba Cuba Omar probably Gooding. nail a backflip, I think. <laughs> yeah, actually, he probably could. Um, man, uh, what would have been, I think, the most unrealistic thing still is those guys celebrating, pre celebrating before uh, the game. I just can't imagine a coach allowing that. Actually, so I guess we should do these two prong. What's the most unrealistic moment of the season of the entire oh, the show? Jeez. Oh my goodness. There's so many, like the one that just stands out, oh, man. What? who's, who's his friend that was just like drove by to like shoot Snoop oh, Dogg. Cal? Yeah. <laughs> Cal was like, real, Cal was real narrow do well is what I'd call him. Basically all of the stuff that invited, uh, involved gun violence. I felt was just so wildly unrealistic how brazen it was just like, I'm going to shoot up the club and then just pretend like I'm going to get away with it. Some of that stuff was absurdly unrealistic. I think the most unrealistic one, and this is one that maybe we didn't dwell on enough in time. Gerwitz buying crack for DH because he's like having withdrawals on this, on a hallway <laughs> yes. in the middle of a game. I don't think there's any chance that could happen. That was yeah. Doing crack in the bowels of the stadium was just unreal. Moment that made the NFL the most mad. And I guess we could talk. I, let's, let's focus on the season side just to save time. I, I think the moment that would make them the most mad has to be that one too. I feel like that DH doing crack in a hallway and needing crack to exist. I feel like that might've been just based on the timing of the whole season and how the structure worked. I feel like that was when they were like, yeah, we can't fucking have this show. Like they, they could do the domestic violence and the shootings and whatever, like those things happen, but we've never had a player doing crack in the middle of a game.
and that's how the NFL has operated all the time. Like domestic violence, eh, um, you know, gun possession, eh, drugs. Oh my God. No, no drugs, no drugs. So yeah, the, the crack thing would have made them lose their minds. The NFL's happiest scene out of the entire show. What, what would that be? The NFL's happiest scene. I mean, Luther it's Hawkins. just like, there's, <laughs> It's just like probably I think I've said it before. It's their little competitions at practice, you know, where they're racing each other or seeing who could throw the football the furthest. I think the NFL would get a kick out of that. Yeah, I think the probably the the totally innocuous kind of moments like that are the one. I do think there is something. Yeah, if we were to look at this show as like a time capsule, the scene of them watching Luther Hawkins beat them, like both for this episode and for the NFL, like that might be the most important takeaway out of this entire time period. Because like this is still the time uh, the time frame where you're getting the Trent Dilfer Super Bowl winning type QBs, and instead we have this electric guy who. Like, this is what the league is now. So I think in some ways that for them, like Luther Hawkins should be on the logo, like with the NBA or <laughs> they have you Jerry sure? West. Um, asshole of the show. Uh, Leon makes a tough case. makes it hard to fully give this one with confidence. But the DH is the asshole of possibly every show. Yeah, it. I don't know how you can't give it to DH. And there are lots of good candidates for this. But DH takes the cake by far. Cool bro moment of the show. What would that be? The cool bro. I mean, it is, it is, um, uh, Gerwitz getting cracked yeah. for DH is like just the total cool bro move. That is the most important. Like, I didn't think about it at the time, but that was the most important scene in the entire show. Like, it distilled yes. everything. It did. It did. I mean, and also, Cuck Boy had a lot of cool bro moments, uh, as well, sure. uh, just being a total cuck. But yeah, you can't top getting your teammate Coke teammate bonding of the show that would be i think just these guys going out uh, there had to be a simpler time where they went out and like we're getting laid I, I feel like maybe the haley's whisper party like that was a similar time nobody really had any big issues i guess dh did uh no that he didn't contribute to a murder there so no that was that was just a nice time yeah no i i think so too the one you know they had they finally mixed it up and went to a different club at some point but just the kind of group bonding of them continually going out to the nightclubs together, I think uh, I think that was nice. And the teammate bonding of the episode to be sharing uh, Carney, the fixer guy, who's really the king of getting out of pregnancies. I think that's one thing we could say for him. Best actor of the show. Who would that be? The best actor on the show. Um, I honestly think DH. Uh, yeah, I think I think he was good. Yeah, I believed him. But but the thing is though that he, he just didn't because he didn't grow and didn't have the motivation. Like I think I might go Gerwitz just because of the conflict and and Olshik is in there too. But I DH just in terms of being unlikable and representing what he had to be or what the script made him be. Like I guess he did do the job. The one thing he didn't do the job on is being the actual athlete because we did point to that part enough. Yeah, and I guess the thing with Gerwitz is he just kind of like the silent brooding. I just, it's, it's harder for me to be like, Oh, what a performance. I feel like DH still had a little bit of range as far as, you know, being likable. Cause we talked about it. Yeah. Like you do want to like him. He just has this smile, this charisma that you're drawn to, but then you're like, Oh my God, he's such an asshole. And I thought he carried uh, that dichotomy. Well, he should have been a bigger star. I'll say for Omar Gooding. Yeah. Yeah, like I think I agree. Like he had a natural charisma. Seeing that wouldn't be on TV. Again, I think it all comes back to the crack part. So I think we're probably in agreement there. Playmaker of the show. Who is the playmaker of the whole show? I feel like the obvious one here is going to be DH, but is that where we're going to go? Yeah, I think DH was the center of the show. Uh, and 
instigated most of the interesting plot lines. Um, I did start to warm up to McConnell. Like I would look forward mm-hmm. to his lines uh, towards the end, but yeah, he wasn't as much of a focal point. And McConnell's like the supporting playmaker of the show. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, this was DH's show. He was on a lot of the materials. So honestly, probably should have been on more. Old chick was on a lot of the materials, I guess, because maybe they, I don't know, whatever things at that time wanted to put the white guy, the sympathetic <laughs> white guy character up front. But either way, a journey we have here. So I want to say thank you. If you've watched these episodes along with us, the guys in the chat right now, uh, people out there watching one after the fact, we appreciate you. If for some reason, you're just stumbling on this show now and curious why we talked about it. Go watch all of our episodes. We have a playlist on a Splash Play channel. Showing all the times that we talked it through at great length, uh, our enthusiasm, the downturns we've had at the show, the overall joy we've had. It was quite the experience. Any final words, or I guess if you want to do plugs, Supi, just let, let's do it all here now. Yeah, no, I I, I want to say thank you to everyone as well. I know sometimes people just want us to talk about fantasy football or whatever. And so thank you for indulging us. I legitimately, like when you pitched this to me, I was like, Ah, uh, sure. Like, let's get like, I, I wasn't that excited about it when you first pitched it. And then I had a lot of fun watching these episodes and roasting them each week. And I do hope uh, more people uh, who stumble upon maybe just searching playmakers on ESPN uh, on YouTube will end up finding our recaps because as I know, we're the only people who have ever done a recap show of playmakers. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna, honestly when the reboot comes back out, Pete, that's when our tide will rise along with it. But no, it was a fun thing. And we do very much appreciate you guys. And there goes my camera for some reason. Okay, what the fuck happened there? Uh, but we appreciate it a bunch here again. If you're not subscribed to the Peach channel or the Splash Play channel, do that. Our our str- fucking camera. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> Um, anyway, but we will be back with you guys next week and we will be doing the segue into full football talk. No shenanigans. We are planning on having Justin Freeman on to talk about run the Sims. And you'll hear a lot about that on Pete's channel. Any words here, Pete, before we call it quits and my camera keeps flashing. Oh, am I just off now? Wait, what? No, Pete's frozen. What is... (laughs) Okay, I don't know what's going on here, guys, but I'm going to say the show is over and leave the studio as Pete is frozen in a smiley face. And (laughs) what the fuck happened here? I guess now I can really take the pulpit and just do some of my... Um, I don't know what happened here, but I appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. Should I just do this for like another minute or two just because I don't know what the fuck... went on? Pete couldn't take any more playmakers, but now he's back. There we go. Uh-oh, did something, ha- something weird happen with so, StreamYard? So what happened was my camera kept cutting off, and then you were, I thought you were just listening and like laughing at me having tech issues, but you were just frozen smiling handsomely like. <laughs> I'll take it, I'll take it. Um, But yes, whatever other nice things you said about everyone following <laughs> along with us, I co-sign. Yeah, so we'll see you guys next week. Subscribe to the channels and enjoy your weekends. Bye. Peace. Peace.